Welcome to the Graphic Audio Behind the Mic Podcast. These podcasts will feature author interviews and behind-the-scenes interviews with our cast, directors, and crew. Today's podcast features director Colleen Delaney's interview with author Rihanna Held. In this interview, we talk to Ms. Held about her urban fantasy series, Silver, which we now produce in graphic audio. What a pleasure to meet you over the phone. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a, a long time working with your voice on the page, so it's uh, pretty cool. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm, I'm very excited about all of this. Yeah, so you got the link to the first side, and I mean, it's got to be... There have to have been moments where it took you aback, where it was like, wow, that's not what I heard in my mind's eye, but, you know, either A, I can go with that, or hmm, B, I wish that was different. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. And um, I'm, I'm enough of a, a scientist, I guess, um, where my immediate thought was, I wonder if, you know, I got a sample size of people who'd read the book and then listened to the audiobook and then had them check off if they thought this character was different or the same as in their head, what the, whether most characters would be uh, the same for everybody or, uh, and then I was like, wait, stop. Right. <laughs> You're right. not running a study. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, in, in anticipation of speaking with you and, and hoping to, I don't know, find a couple of things to talk about that maybe you hadn't talked about 14 times before in the last couple of years. Um, I was looking at your Twitter feed and you just reminded me of like when the writing gets tough, the tough make a spreadsheet. Like that's where your mind goes to cope. (laughs) Yeah, reverting to the the practices of science, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Do you remember the moment when you made a spreadsheet? Was it to keep track of characters or events or um, do you remember the tweet I'm talking about? Yes, I do remember the tweet you're talking about. And and I was just uh, thinking back. It probably was because um, of continuity issues, um, because I'm not great with uh, A, time of day, and B, things like uh, vehicles. I'm quite famous among my critique group for vehicles that are left somewhere and then magically reappear back at the house when somebody <laughs> wants to get back into them again. Um, and then also time of day, uh, occasionally... Sometimes I catch it myself, too, where I'm going along, going along, and then suddenly I have this description of the sun is shining and it looks this way on the streets, and, and I'm like, wait, that scene's at night. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, I could, I could see myself if I were to ever undertake such a, you know, a, a, a writing of huge scope like that from scratch. Like, I would probably have action figures and, uh, you know, d- paper dolls, I don't know, something physical to keep, keep me honest. <laughs> sure. So. Well, I also have been known to um, act out various things, sort of climb around on the floor or sit down in a chair or whatever, trying to figure out if the whatever action is physically possible. doesn't work with fight scenes um, right. when you yeah. live alone. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, you definitely need a, a, a co-combatant, I guess, to yeah. keep yourself honest with that. Very cool. Well, maybe maybe at this point in the podcast, we'll play uh, the trailer so that the listeners who are maybe not familiar with having read your book or um, maybe haven't even listened to the online clip can get a little taste of the type of story we're talking about and, and sort of springboard into to discussions about taking your story and putting it into graphic audio. Graphic Audio presents 
Rhiannon Held's werewolf-based urban fantasy, Silver. Ah, Dare, did you manage to find our loan? Yes, but she's a lot more than I bargained for. She smells like silver, sure, but she's been hurt. She's definitely crazy. Well, she's not Roanoke. I doubt she's from one of the Western packs either. She looks like she's been living rough for months. She'll have been alone, or one of the splinter pairs. Someone no one would miss. I'm not sure it's a good use of Roanoke resources to deal with this, though. Her injuries must have happened in the West, so it's the West's responsibility to take her in and kill the humans that did it. Don't be a coward. If something's coming after Pax, we need to stop it before it leaves the West. She's crazy, and you're out of line. He knows the worst of himself and is vigilant to make sure it stays buried. Better that than to be surprised by it and unable to stop the worst from taking over. You'll just have to hope he'll hear the sound of his enemies approaching over the voices of his past. He's doing all this to catch my enemy. I think there's no danger of that. Is he going to find anything? He's not going to find what he expects. Silver by Rhiannon Held. Available now in graphic audio. A number of things like leap to mind when I when I hear that like listening to you with it it's like seeing a movie by yourself versus watching it with someone else you're always or I guess I'm always conscious of like the reactions the other person is having or I think they're having and <laughs> sure. is what I think like um, I, I listened to uh, Blythe Coons's performance as Silver in that. Uh, first of all, it was not on purpose that I had her twice referred to as crazy <laughs> in the trailer. <laughs> Just sort of like the way I threw it together happened that way. But sure. um but she's such an interesting character, and, and, you know, taken just like a snippet like that, I would hope listeners wouldn't dismiss that performance as being like generally low affect. Like, because she is physically compromised, she has to rely on other things to pr- just prevail in her personal situation and show strength and dominance in a world where there's so much physical strength and dominance. Like, she, she has to be very gritty to make it through a day given all her kind of especially in the front end of the silver one story like all the sort of ptsd damage from from the events that preceded the the beginning of the book Mm -hmm. did you did you have thoughts about um the performance of silver and well i um having listened to just the the first disc uh it was interesting to me because i essentially got you know, what you were talking about with the the first part of the performance, mm-hmm. um, where she's still a little bit more in her head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, later on is where um, she sort of comes out of her head a little bit more and is, you know, speaking to people and, and getting done what needs to get done. Um, so it was it was interesting to get uh, that, that first part. I had a similar reaction to um, the voice of death because... In that first disc, we mostly get Death speaking in um, dead people's voices, and so he has a variety of different ones. Right. And I think near the end of the disc, we finally get um, his voice that's him. Um, and so it was interesting uh, sort of re-experiencing that transition, um, because it's been so long since I was at the beginning of the books, you know. Um, and then there's the two that come after this book. Um, where both Silver's personality with other people, the way she interacts with people, and then Death's personality um, settle into the groove. Mm-hmm. And so it was fun to sort of see see anew that, that sort of beginning stage. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I can appreciate that. Um, you're mentioning death brings up uh, stuff I wanted to talk about, like how it's one thing to have this character in a book on the page that's this convention where, you know, death is heard in what Silver thinks of as his default voice, which is just the main one among many voices of people who have died, um, mm -hmm. that, that he can show up as being in the voice of, being heard as this voice. And so way back before I had the context of the book as a whole, the adapter said, how do you want me to treat this? And I was like, I don't know, just mark them all death. Like thinking <laughs> that one actor would just be like, oh, now he's the maiden aunt voice. Or now he's, we'll just get a really flexible actor to do that. And then I got the script and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's got to be different actors. So then how, how then to tie them together and to try and create this effect, this, you know, sound design treatment of the voice, passing it through, you know, a distinct enough filter so that each voice that is quote unquote death reminds you, oh, that's death. Like, mm -hmm. so it's not yeah. to completely lose the Fred. Who's in the room? Who's talking to <laughs> Silver now? Yeah. So. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you did use different voices. Um, of the various things that I sort of was thinking about with like audiobooks, oh, how they, would they do that? I was thinking about death. Because, of course, if it was a visual adaptation, you have the visual of the character that stays the same no matter what voice right. the character is using. But with an auditory one, that's very different. Right, right, right. Yeah, like in, in a similar vein, like you sort of addressed the notion of Andrew Dare speaking to a member of the Madrid pack over the phone by saying, oh, you know, s making some allusion to my Spanish is rusty. But they're speaking in English because you're not going to take the time to like, I will now as the author translate this conversation into Spanish and then give you, the reader, the translation so you can know what they said. You know, you just... Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's even trickier with the audiobooks because like, well, now do I... Do they have an accent when they're speaking in Spanish to one another? Do they, you know, and you just kind of, like, try to give the listener enough clues to say, like, just come along with me on this. Just take my word for it for a moment. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So hopefully that's not confusing or annoying to the listener to have to, um, I don't know, fall back on, you know, storytelling conventions that don't weigh it down too much but still have some believability or authenticity to them. Sure. Well, I always, um, with World War II movies, the joke is always that what do Germans speak? Well, they speak English with a German accent. Um, and that's never actually bothered me because I would, um, I, I would be fine with reading subtitles because I read quickly. Mm -hmm. But I think that it makes sense to throw the poor uh, watchers or listeners a bone and just be like, yeah, this is a conversation and you can understand it because we want you to come along, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other thing with making that trailer that sort of brought to my mind was how an author and the people who support the author, the copy editors or whomever, have to make this, like, dust jacket blurb that then, like, you hope it says the right stuff because... Everyone who's selling the book is going to quote it. Like it's mm -hmm. going, to, it's that's going to be the precis that, like, say, two paragraph precis that everyone has to try and become familiar with your book in a matter of seconds. 
and similarly, like the trailer was something to produce. It's like, how can I, I can't really capture the whole, what piece of it, what, what part of the prism am I going to shine through to try and hook the listener or the reader into this story to come along and hear the rest, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you have an editorial voice in getting that, that boiled down dust jacket blurb for all your books? Um, I didn't uh, have anything to do with the ones that actually went on the cover, but where I ended up um, dealing with it a lot is that obviously I'm going to conventions and readings and you know, meeting my parents' friends and things like that. And they say, oh, you're an author, what do you write? <laughs> um, and so my answer to that is what I ended up sort of working the hardest on. Um, and what, what was kind of interesting is that I ended up doing it very differently than the book jacket did it. Um, and actually the audiobook trailer in a way too, because usually what I started with was something about myself, which is that my day job is I'm a professional archaeologist. And then I'd say something and I wrote the book about werewolves. And then I do a little bit about um, how the archaeology went into saying anything about the werewolves. And I actually got a little bit away from um, the actual plot line. So I wouldn't necessarily say, okay, there's these two characters, and he finds her, and she's lost, and da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up going that direction just because, um, since there's so many werewolves out there, um, I wanted to sort of immediately be like, and why are these werewolves different? Right. Right. I mean, at Graphic Audio, we we have done storytelling about any number of um, non-human, humanoid species, you know, like the the zombie books or the vampire Mm -hmm. books or the werewolf books. And, okay, so in this world, like, humans don't know that werewolves exist. In the Rhiannon-held werewolf world, the existence of werewolves has to remain a secret to keep them safe. You know, and, and uh, oh, like you say, they don't get bitten and infected with werewolfness. They are a species that... Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty cool. Like, um, just um, the, the, the many parallels that we can make, you know, socially or anthropologically, uh, you know, to, to say big, big things about humans, just like in Star Trek or science fiction, you know, if you just have that half step back, the moral lessons or the difficult things to examine about ourselves are easier at a half step remove. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, exactly. I, um, some, some authors think of it as finding the underlying um, theme of their work, and I actually think of it in terms of um, metaphor. I don't set out to make a particular metaphor, um, but once I've written something, I step back and I look at it, I'm like, what kind of metaphor have I constructed? Mm -hmm. The um, the werewolves are standing in for what? And um, that was actually something I did to uh, differentiate it from other werewolves is I looked at other werewolves and said, okay, what's their metaphor? Mm-hmm. What do they stand for? And then I'm going to make sure that my metaphor is a different one. Have such guiding principles sort of redirected your imagination at a time when you might have, you know, taken the right fork in the plot, but then sort of coming back to basic principles and your metaphor, you, you take the left instead? I think so. Um, Mostly because sometimes if you're not careful, you can uh, end up saying something that you don't mean. 
Um, for instance, I, I won't use the metaphor for my werewolves, but a common metaphor for werewolves is that they're the, the bestial instincts inside of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're not careful and you have the werewolf win the day and she settles down and she has a great mate and her life is grand and she won it because she tore somebody's throat out, you're sort of saying that, well, our bestial instincts, I guess we should just give in to them, shouldn't we? Because that right. ends up great. Um, and so I try to examine my my plots to see if I'm sort of inadvertently um, rewarding something that I think actually uh, is long-term bad <laughs> for mm-hmm. a person or human society, um, and then sort of step back and say, okay, what can happen to this character instead that sort of is more in line of um, with what I'm trying to say. Right, right. Yeah, I get that. It helped me to remind myself as I was reading that they weren't simply a different culture or a different race of humans, but like truly a different species. It helped me remember, you know, like what would dogs do, for example, which Mm -hmm. is not to say that the werewolves are, are, you know, I mean, they're much richer, fuller people than a dog would be. But when it came to really sort of territorial strength contests, sometimes I, I confess I was you know, my feminist self was like, hey, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, to, to give it the space of like, yeah, but this is a different species. Like you mustn't draw too many parallels to, you know, your human culture, your human species. Um, mm-hmm. It was just interesting to let those um, awkward dynamics exist, like in book two, when Susan observes Andrew taking care of Silver in the car, she's been injured, and in just uh, because they're intimate, and because he wanted to nurture her, there was like some licking of the wound, which is super creepy and unusual in a human context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, tough for Susan to bear witness to without like, I don't know where to put that. That's really weird. Yeah, like just how fun to be able to kind of just like here you go like what happens in this scenario because because they're just a different species with their own yeah with their own and uh, it's it's fun to play with even uh, be uh not just to the species level but to the the cultural level um being having the anthropology background i have the background in sort of like the whole variety of different cultures that are out there but you know your average person on the street um, they may have traveled, they may have not been able to, um, and they may have been able to uh, experience a very, very different culture immersively, or they may have gone to some place where it's a sort of recognizable cultural cousin, especially with globalization. Mm-hmm. You know, Western culture is sort of um, seeping out everywhere so that there can often be similarities wherever you travel. Um, and I wanted to... Uh, really sort of give people the punch of, um, you. yes, you have culture. It's not that everybody else has weird things and you have the normal default things. No, you have your weird things, they have their weird things. Right. And when the two meet is when you're sort of like, whoa, whoa, okay, what's up with that? Um, and I sort of wanted to um, make the readers feel a little bit of how they are operating from this sort of Western cultural default. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's fine, but it's good to 
to know that because then when you meet somebody who isn't, then you can sort of know why it suddenly feels strange and they're suddenly acting not how you expect, you know. Right, right. It's like the, I don't know, Vegemite sandwich spread to someone else's, like, as normal as ketchup or peanut butter, but, you know, to us. Yeah, exactly. Whoa, what is this awful salty (laughs) thing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and um, it was fun and um, interesting to discover. You don't, as the authors say, like, the werewolves have this thing when they're challenging for dominance. Like, they stare, and this is what happens. Like, it's just this... You know, a challenge is brewing, it's burbling up to the surface, and these two characters, you know, there's a lot about making eye contact or not making eye contact to avoid that kind of direct challenge, you know, just like, again, with like wolves or, or dogs, uh, and then and then to, to uh, have another encounter result in the staring contest, and how is it broken, and, ha- you know, it's, it's, it's almost this... Um, slightly supernatural part of their their culture and social interaction because mm-hmm. th- there's like a r- very real effect from the just their the strength of their spirit you know mm-hmm. uh, I um as far as the the supernatural elements it's been uh, an interesting balancing act um, between because I made them quite scientific um, it's not on the page but I've thought about uh, what are their genetic origins and what would their population would have had to have been and how much interbreeding with humans and all these sort of crunchy scientific things going on in the background in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other hand, there's the religious aspects and the aspects of um, even the, the shape-shifting part is quite magical. Right. Even if you sort of try to, to give it a scientific basis. Um, and there was a review at one point that... Um, couldn't believe that Andrew would ever be an atheist because he had such magic in his life. Um, huh. And that was an, an interesting thing for me because I, I very much wanted to balance on the line between um, you can see it as magic or you can see it as something that can be explained by science, but we can't yet. And clearly that person had fallen to one side of the line. Right. Um, but I, I had made the effort to sort of, to see um, if I could, even if people did fall on one side or the other, if I could get them to fall on both, like um, one person would fall one side, another person would fall the other side, I would view that as a win, because I've put enough in the story that different people can find different things in it. Yes, Um, to support both points of view. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fun to sort of like incrementally discover their view of the universe, their their origin story, the role that death and the lady play in their history and in their worldview, and how each person holds closer one piece of the story versus another. Mm-hmm. The background sort of, um, I call it the, the oral tradition of the werewolves, their their sort of myths and stories and that sort of thing, um, was one of the most fun things Hmm. for me to come up with um, because I wanted to to create a feel that there's a a whole lot there and you're not necessarily seeing all of it on the page in the books. But that meant that I got to think up a whole lot of different stuff Hmm. um, based a lot of times on sort of Native American mythology. Yes, yeah, which you could see how it lends itself to that 
that kind of thinking, especially how the you know the feature of the wolves and the animals and the moon, all of that is mm-hmm. there, there are threads that are that are um, rich and interesting to pick up. I liked to um, in I guess this was. I forget now in all the research I was doing earlier, but uh, you quoted uh, Hamlet, um, where uh, he says, the play's the thing, wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. That leapt right out at me. And how Silver, I guess as it goes on, becomes more of a storyteller or, or, or holds some of the oral history um, to help, I, I don't know, to, to lend to some teaching moments for people ultimately. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that because, you know, I come from a, a, a background of lots of theater acting and and I think it's great when stories can teach us something really essential about ourselves without having to hit us over the head about sure. it. Sure. Yeah, there's actually a um, technique called uh, therapeutic metaphor. That's the phrase. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> I think unbeknownst to me, uh, my mother was using on me throughout my entire childhood because <laughs> she has therapy training. Oh, okay. Um, and so I sort of picked it up from her and realized it was really, really useful. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and the fun part for me is not just um, in things that are explicitly stories, like you watch a TV program or you watch a play or something like that, and then you find the pieces of yourself in it, because that's really great. But um, the fun stuff I found for stories is when they're um, simple anecdotes that you tell the people, and so they can walk away with some little piece of something that they needed uh, advice or permission to do what they already wanted to do or sort of a different perspective on something in their life. Mm-hmm. And rather than they came to you and said, oh, I don't know whether to dump my boyfriend. Um, And rather than saying, I think you should dump him, because that's never a good idea. (laughs) Because whatever happens, (laughs) they're going to blame you. Exactly. Um, But sort of telling a story of, well, you know, when I was first in love, and then sort of this happened, and then that happened. And in the end, I ended up being single, and that was what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's, it, what I find utterly astounding is the sort of magical transformation between what you said um, and then what they hear, if they would relay it back to you. And I've had people come back to me later and say, thank you for telling me to dump my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I didn't tell you to dump your boyfriend. I told this story about the time that I was in love. But that was the takeaway. But that's what they needed to hear in it. And so that was what I was trying to do with Silver um, as much as I could with being in only one character point of view at a time was sort of show what Silver is saying and what Silver sort of hopes they might take out of it, and then maybe show what the other character is hearing Mm -hmm. and what that character actually takes out of it. No matter what Silver was trying to say, that was what the character heard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to say, too, that I felt quite an identification with you when you've shared this story a number of times about your father's role in giving you the permission or the nudge or creating the space for you to have your career in archaeology and to pursue your love of writing. Um, Mm -hmm. 
if you could share a little bit about of that story, because I mean, I feel like the very same thing happened in my life where I was trying to um, be practical and do the thing that was like, you know, expected and would result in happiness for me in my life just to make sure I would like make money or be successful. And then to have just that one conversation where someone opened a door. Um, sure. Well, um, what what happened was that I was uh, finishing up my bachelor's degree and sort of having to make a choice about where I go from there. So sort of career level choices going on. Um, and I had a professor who was saying, um, well, when you're putting together your grad school applications, you really have to convince them that you are passionate about archaeology. Mm. And I was like, uh, I don't know about that. Right. I like it. Um, so I was, I was really twisted up inside about that for a while. And I was like, do I really, if I'm not passionate, should I be an archaeologist? I don't, I don't know. Um, so I went home for break. And I, I was trying to broach the subject with my father, and I ended up just sobbing at first. Cause I don't know, what do I do with my life? What's my career? Sob, sob, sob. And so my father looked at me and he said, um, well, if you could be anything, what would you be? And I said, oh, I'd be an author. And he said, okay, so do that and do the archaeology to make some money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was an amazing thing to me, not so much because he gave me permission to um, follow a dream, but because he uh, admitted um, that it's a lie that your dream has to be your career. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the biggest thing that I'm glad I find out, and I'm hoping other people do, is that um, your passion does not have to be your career. Your career can be something that allows you to have your passion. Yes. And so him sort of saying... Um, that's fine that your career is not your passion. Have your career and then also have your passion. That was what I needed to, to hear. Um, Mike Rowe, who, who hosted the uh, show Dirty Jobs, has a thing about how um, it's, a, it's a dirty lie that we tell kids that what they need to do is um, follow their dream and work in their dream because that makes your, the fulfillment of your dream a condition of your employment. And if you get laid off because they have no more money or that there are only two remaining like steam train operators in the Western United States and you didn't get the one of the two jobs, like then what do you do? And so this idea that um, get whatever job doesn't suck your soul, mm-hmm. um, that you, you like, you enjoy, um, and then, you know, find a steam train to, to drive on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, was was really amazing and something that I wanted to uh, that I needed to to hear at the time and especially academia academia is also a gigantic liar in that it says <laughs> that whatever your specialization must be everything in your life there's nothing in your life outside of your academic specialization which um I disagree with how <laughs> I say that's right <laughs> that's not a way to make a balanced human being and I love it. And that's, I mean, I, I know you've talked on this, like, event in your life and before, but I just thought it was worth reprising. And it really struck me how, you know, going through some of the archive online of interviews with you, how, um, 
you know, I'm listening to this conversation or I'm reading this conversation and I think, oh, at this point, she hasn't even finished writing like this other book over here. Like Mm -hmm. that person there hadn't finished it, but then she did. And then it was published. And then, you know, we got, you know, the, the rights to produce it. And like all these things have been created since then in the wake of that. Um, partly out of, you know, the two paths that diverged in a yellow wood and your dad, mm-hmm. you you know, get, created this space for you to explore this other path and how you had this vision f- for, you know, writing shorter fiction and then, you know, getting into the longer format for silver and then the more books and that was three and now there's a four, five, six that you at least have in your mind, if not on paper, I don't know where that stands in terms of like actually moving ahead in a real way with the the third set of sure. second set of three books. Is there an update there? Yeah, I can actually. Uh, it, it's it's a sad update, but oh, no. um, <laughs> uh, my publisher has decided not to do any more in that series. Um, so it's a sort of it's an interesting next new crossroads in my life um, because when I started um, writing Silver and then when I got the the publishing deal for it, um, I very much saw myself on a straight line path that I would write Silver and I'd write two and I'd write three and then they'd buy some more and then I'd write those and then if I had a new series, I'd start that series and go straight down that series. Um, And then having my publisher decide not to pick up anymore in that series sort of um, shook me up and made me have to sort of look around and say, um, no, writing careers, they're not linear. Got it. Um, so, and, and actually the audiobook has been a part of that because I, when I was first writing Silver, I hadn't even thought about well, an audiobook. Uh, what would that be like? I hadn't, I hadn't even considered it. And then um, you guys bought the rights, and I was like, oh, man, oh, wow, you know. Um, so even when I have the, the disappointment in the one aspect of my career that there won't be more of this series, um, I'm, I'm super excited about having, hearing them in audio and having them out in audio and maybe um, touching a different sort of set of readers because I have friends who say, oh, I'm sorry, I'd love to read your book, but I'm never sitting down that long. Right. I'm always commuting. And so I want something in the car, but I can't read it on the page. Um, so I'm hoping to, you know, sort of reach a different set of, of those people. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that this is exciting for you and that you, you have an interest. Like, I know, for example, preparing the project and then getting to cast and, and to, to, to work with voice actors whom I just, I love and respect. And, you know, maybe they'll bring something to it that's a, a richness or a nuance that I hadn't heard in my mind, but I think is great in the moment. And then to uh, take it to the sound engineer, Thomas Hogan, who composed the theme just for you, like the, the music you hear in the trailer is a... Oh. A new composition written right you know it's like I told Thomas like I you know I maybe some electric guitar because I think this is gritty and maybe you know listen to this scoring and see if you can do something in this vein and boom it comes it's like thrilling to hear <laughs> someone else's work that's like yeah that's 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 really what I t- asked for you and it came back just like that that's like so it's kind of it's very cool and mm-hmm. so I mean I hope you have 
continue to have moments of enjoying like uh, satisfaction and pleasant surprise. <laughs> oh yes, definitely. And I mean, I'm I'm still writing plenty of books. I have a couple different ones that um, I'm going to see about sending out to publishers. So if nothing else, I've sort of come out of this uh, diversifying a little bit. Absolutely. Um, with with lots of different, rather than thinking in one world, I'm now thinking in a whole bunch of different worlds um, to see which one sort of catches on. Yeah. Yes. Well, you've already demonstrated yourself as a woman of strong vision and uh, <laughs> and manifesting it. So we, we support <laughs> you in that. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, yes. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. And, well, thank you for, for putting this together. I mean, people, I, I, I want to say this to you. People always, whenever I say I have an audiobook, say, oh, did you choose the voices? Oh, did you choose the this, the that? Um, and what I say to them is, uh, no, I didn't, and I'm glad, because <laughs> I have chosen zero voices ever before and I've done zero sound effects for anything ever before and it's really great to know that it's in the hands of somebody that that's what they do you know is choose voices is choose the music is choose the sound effects and sort of bring it all together because I wrote it but that doesn't mean I know anything about the auditory side (laughs) so I thank you for 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 doing that you know sure thanks for your trust We would like to thank Rihanna Unheld for taking the time to talk to us. Silver, number one, self-titled Silver, is now available. The second book, Tarnished, will be released in May 2015, while the third and final book, Reflected, will be available June 2015. All the titles are now and will be available in audio CD format, as well as all available download formats, MP3, M4B, and FLAC. For more information on how to purchase our graphic audio titles, please call us at 1-800-670-5220 or visit us on the web at www.graphicaudio.net and www.graphicaudiointernational.net. And don't forget, you can listen to your downloaded titles anytime, anywhere with our free Graphic Audio Access app, available for Apple and Android devices. Make sure you sign up for our e-newsletter, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter.